helping people completely have their own uh, perfect transformation. So I really believe that no matter what adversity, what challenge you may face in your life, you have all the resources and tools within you. And it's just a matter of recognizing those and, uh, you know, tapping into them. And so I want to be that conduit. I want to be that person that can help people to tap into those tools and live a life of not just, you know, um, not just overcoming adversity, but flourishing and living a real life of passion and purpose. And I know because I've done it myself and anyone can do it. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we talk with an entertainer, international speaker, author, and resilience expert who is changing lives after overcoming an abusive childhood where she lived in 13 foster homes and went to 13 schools. She has a diploma in sales management and marketing from the Auckland University of Technology in New Zealand, a certificate for in personal training, and is currently completing an NLP timeline therapy course at Minds Tomorrow. Our guest is passionate about curbing domestic violence through her peace tools, which transform lives daily through her resilient rockstar live stage show and resilient peace program as a lifeline suicide prevention counselor and expert on resilience. I'm honored and privileged to introduce you to an inspiring, vibrant, energetic, and life-changing speaker who is f- the founder of Happy Home Workouts, Donna Lee Perfect. Donna Lee, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Craig. Wow, what a what an intro that was. I, I, I don't know, did you write that? <laughs> That's amazing. Thank you. No, you're welcome. And it's great to have a fellow Kiwi on the show. And, and I've just enjoyed just all, all our great conversations and interactions over the past 18 months, um, obviously connected through Speakers Institute. And I just love your bubbly personality and just pure love for people. So thank you for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. It's an honor, an absolute honor. It's been great to connect with you over the last few months too, Craig, and, and even just recently this year before everything changed. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting world at the moment. But uh, before we kind of delve into those aspects, for you, what is your happy place in life? It would have to be the beach, skipping. Skipping on the beach. And when I say skipping, I mean skipping down the beach like a child. You're in a child coming out in you. So that's probably my most happy place, to be honest. I love the beach. What do they say? You can you can take the girl out of the beach, but you can't take the beach out of the girl. Oh, beautiful. I like that. And, and you know, the beach, you know, there's something special about beaches, right? You've, you've got this mix of beauty, but you can also see this ferociousness as well. And it's kind of just 
blended in where you you, you kind of feel you feel really alive because yes you're happy in that space but you also know that there's you can really feel the elements and of the world working together and sometimes against each other um, so very beautiful and, and up on the um, up in Queensland there obviously you've got some beautiful white sandy beaches as well oh yeah my, my favorite place is Miami headland where I work out every morning and it's got the most spectacular view right over Miami Beach and so you're right at the top there and it's just absolutely incredible so you, you get a bird's eye view of, of surface paradise all the way down to Coolangatta. Yeah, a stunning part of the world. Now, you, you talked about skipping there and sort of going back into your childhood. I think that's so fam- uh, so so important that we we go back to that kind of ex- experimentation and that freeness that we um, experience as as young children. Uh, so, so what is it about skipping? What what does skipping do for you? Well, well, you know, I talk about this on the stage, actually, about the skip, and it's a really phenomenal exercise because it's actually a full body exercise. And also it, it brings out the child in you, but it releases what I believe is a double dose of dopamine. And what I mean by that is when you skip down the road, down the beach, people smile at you and sometimes they laugh and that's okay. And when you're skipping yourself, you're, you know, you're, you're energized and you, you, it's, it's a fun activity as opposed to running. So, you, you know, your child is coming out in you and quite often for me, I'm smiling or when I'm skipping. And so what happens is when somebody sees you skipping and they smile or laugh and you are exchanging that beautiful moment, it's a double dose of dopamine. And so it's like, you know, you're connecting the community through a double dose of dopamine. And I believe now more than ever is what we need more of that is dopamine and, you know, happy chemicals around because, you know, we, we have we have all sorts of problems with mental health. So, so we want to raise the vibrational energy and we want to have that positive kind of energy around right now so and and just play a little take life a little less seriously and so it's it it just is a fun activity to do and it's a great workout the double dose of dopamine i like that saying very clever so as a resilience expert you will have developed a lot of tools and ways to help other people build their resilience um over the years how have you used your own skills to manage the challenges that 2020 has thrown the world? That's a really great question, you know, Craig, because I have completely pivoted. I became a public, three times published author late last year in November, and I launched my children's series, The Adventures of Jesse and Rocky Rockstar. And these are stories about the beautiful bond that our rescue dog has with our daughter and the life lessons he teaches Jesse about kindness and compassion. And the in the back of these books is also an amazing app that is a life-saving app. It has 13 life-saving support services. And uh, they're services that help our community with uh, mental health issues. So Lifeline, Kids Helpline, Men's Line, uh, you know, the, these are just a few of the services on this app. And so I wanted this, these books to make a, a really significant impact on children, but also adults in the community. 
And so I launched these books at the end of November with a big plan that I would be traveling around Australia and sharing these books in my author journey. And the author journey itself has, has been a phenomenal kind of a full circle in my life. And, um, you know, it's just been incredible because, you know, uh, these books were channeled to me, I'm sure, as my seven-year-old former self. And I'll share a little bit about that, that story later. But And so these books have got so much meaning and so much kind of, uh, you know, there's this, when I, when I think about how it's all come together, it's just an incredible full circle of life and it makes it so meaningful. And so I was going to be sharing that amazing story and that journey around Australia and also my anthology series, which is a collection of 10 women's stories from around the globe, really empowering stories of resilience and that was part of the first inaugural Her Story Women's Global Empowerment Conference in Las Vegas. And so I had published that too. So I had the three books that I was going to be traveling around and sharing. And of course, uh, you know, everything changed with, uh, with, with COVID. And so I didn't have an opportunity to really get out there and share my books. So I thought, what can I do right now that can help the community who are really suffering all kinds of, you know, um, uh, challenges through, you know, the adversity they're facing, whether it is they've lost their jobs, whether, you know, there's, uh, you know, some sort of mental health issue relating to anxiety, depression, whether, um, you know, maybe there's domestic violence, and, you know, I want to be able to help people that are locked down in their homes. And how can I do that? Well, I always believe that one of the best ways to lift our mindset is through physical exercise. And as a personal trainer, qualified personal trainer, I thought, well, I could incorporate some workouts and do these live through Facebook and offer these free to our community. Well, in fact, worldwide, really, there's no sort of uh, cap on it. And just to help people who are sitting at home feeling really down and feeling really worried and feeling really anxious, just to have a crazy hour of, of workouts. And I wanted to make them happy. And so I had happy socks, I had crazy colorful socks on, and I had, you know, really empowering messages as part of my workout. So it was a lot of really inspirational, uh, you know, empowering mantras and that kind of thing. So it wasn't just a workout. And just keeping it light and happy. And, and, and so I did that for three and a half weeks. And that was all free to the community. And then I also was run, reading children's stories from all around the globe with our rescue dog, Rocky Rockstar, sitting on the couch next to me. And so that they got the opportunity to actually get to know the real Rocky Rockstar, who is the star of the children's series. And so I did that in the afternoons for three weeks, just to give parents a respite from homeschooling and all of the pressures of adapting to having to operate their businesses from home. It's a, it's a beautiful, kind gesture, and 
you know, so what we are you getting lots of response back from people who are just so grateful that you're able to give um, in those two ways? Yes, well, I had a lot of people that were that were tuning into both of those events, both the workouts and the afternoon sessions of story time. And I had a number of people buying the books online, which was fantastic. And so, you know, it's always lovely to be able to, you know, sign books and send them off in the post to people who can't wait to get them. And, and especially when they've seen Rocky and and they got to know them online and, and now they get the books and, and they're reading them to their children. So that's pretty special. Uh, and the workouts, yes. Well, the workouts were fantastic because a number of people reached out to me wanting me to train them one-on-one -on -one through the Zoom platform. And one particular lady is a, a radio DJ that actually interviewed me for my my books and, and my story. And she wanted me to do some one-on-one -on -one sessions with her. So she is still with me three and a half months later. And she ha is doing this incredible transformation, uh, which uh, she's got professional photo shoot and, and videographer and makeup artist and everything all ready to go for the end of that transformation in November. So it's really exciting to be able to watch her journey and, you know, to, to feel that I've been a part of that. It's, it's really humbling. No, there's, there's nothing more special than seeing people transform and, and be transcended in what they're doing. And so, yeah, congratulations on, on what you're doing there. Thank you. It's been an amazing journey. You know, we've all had to pivot, haven't we, in some, some form. Yeah, it's all about pivoting. We're going to go back in your life a little bit here. So where in New Zealand were you born? And... And as a youngster, what can you remember that you dreamed of being uh, when you grew up? Well, that's an interesting question, actually. I, I, I was born in Auckland and in a, a western suburb. And I, I'm the youngest of five siblings and I'm also a twin. So I'm the youngest by 20 minutes. And my twin brother always reminded me of that. <laughs> um, what did I want to be when I was... I, I think I probably wanted to be an actress, actually. So I always had that sort of extroverted personality. I remember we would go camping and I would go around the entire caravan park knocking on caravan doors and introducing myself to people. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I guess, yeah, I probably always wanted to be on the stage. And, and here you are, you're on the stages now, and it's a little bit different at the moment, obviously, uh, on the virtual stage, but, you know, you're doing really, really well. So it's great to see that you can actually, you know, live that dream, you know, a few years, you know, many years later. So well done. Yes. Yeah, it is interesting. Yeah. So you had this dream, but as a young child, you experienced something that we wish no child should have to witness um, how was your life at home in the lead up to the traumatic day your mum passed away to be honest craig you know i i recall life was pretty kind of normal i do remember uh you know some sort of uh, tension in the air between my father and my mother, and also my father had a drinking problem. He was an alcoholic. 
and on on a number of occasions my uncle would come over to the house and there would be arguments but apart from that life seemed to be pretty normal for a family of seven you know I mean it's a busy home and lots going on and I guess there was a big gap between my second oldest brother it was six years so so to have twins six years later would have been quite a pressure on my parents I'm sure and so yes yeah, so life was busy life was busy my mother and my father both worked my mum was a nurse and my father worked for um, a Thorn Industries, a telecommunications company in Auckland. In fact, he designed the first set of traffic lights in New Zealand. Yeah, wow. So, um, so we had a busy life and, you know, but things seemed to be pretty normal. Hmm. Um, yeah, and, and, until uh, until one morning in August, August the 23rd in 1973, um, when everything completely changed in my life, and um, you know, it was an it was a very early morning. It was a winter's morning. It was the morning before my brother's birthday, and uh, I remember just being in bed and and waking to um, my mother screaming out in the hallway, and um, I remember just kind of jolting out of bed and wondering what, what was going on. And I tiptoed to my door and I saw my mum just race past the door with just a look of terror on her face. And my father was screaming and, and swearing and, and chasing her down the hallway with a knife. Yeah, that's uh, pretty scary for, for a young child. I think we were seven years old at the time. Yeah, I was seven years old. Mm. Yeah. And so, so I didn't really know. I didn't really know what was going on, Craig. And I just, uh, you know, I, they they, uh, they ran down the staircase and my father was chasing my mother. And um, I remember just following behind, screaming, not knowing what was happening. And I remember just seeing my mother trying to escape out the sliding door at the bottom of the staircase. And she was reaching for the slide, for the handle. And and um, didn't quite make it, you know, just the door sort of opened just as my father drove the knife into her back. Oh. And, um, you know, my, my my siblings are all at the bottom of the stairs just, you know, screaming and and my mother's just stumbling down the side path of the house and, and collapsed to the ground in front of the house. And, um, you know, I, I, uh, I just remember seeing her la take her last breath. Just very, very traumatic um, time of your life, and so f what happened next? You know, obviously you go through a lot of trauma, young child. Um, I'm sure there's lots of police and and different people around. What next happened for you? It was just so surreal because all I remember is, you know, I'm on the ground next to my mum and I just remember looking up and seeing people everywhere and sirens and, and ambulance officers and, and neighbours and my family and and it was just, it was actually quite suffocating. You know, there was just a lot of um, activity around me and all towering over me and I, you know, was just traumatised in complete shock and 
I just remember glancing to the side and seeing my father getting in the back of a police car and driving off. And that was just like, you know, surreal, just like, is this really happening, you know? And within a few minutes, it seemed anyway, that we were down at my cousin's house further down the road and we were sitting in the lounge room and I remember the radio, uh, the news on the radio, and I remember the report coming on the radio that uh, a woman had been murdered in, in our suburb. And um, I just thought, that's, that's my mum. And I was just sitting there just thinking, no, I'm, I'm going to wake up from this. This is not real. This is all just a dream. This is a nightmare. This this is not real, you know. Um, it just felt so surreal. It was really strange. And we stayed with uh, my cousins for a little while. My older sister and my older brothers weren't there, but my twin and I were. And we were there for probably about three weeks. And then the social welfare authorities came and and we were taken to our first foster home. Mm. So we were all separated, you know, uh, separated from, you know, my father who went to prison and separated from all of my siblings. And it was just my twin brother and I. And we were off to some strange house um, with strangers we never met. And um, thankfully, the first home was a lovely, kind woman. She was a, a Catholic mother, and she was a single mum, and she she was lovely. And I was completely traumatised. Like, I remember arriving in that house, and I was in the backyard. I think I was just, you know, totally out of control. Um, she couldn't even hold me down. That was how... Um, I was just out of control, just so traumatized. And um, she was just so kind. And, and she used to read stories to me in bed at night. And those stories just enabled me to escape the reality of my trauma for a while and into the story. And I am certain that's why these children's stories were actually channeled to me. Because I never, ever planned to be a children's author. It wasn't in the plan at all. And and yet now this whole full cycle has come back. And um, it's just incredible how this is all married back to how I remember that those moments where it just gave me a little bit of respite from all of the trauma and being apart from my entire family and living with strangers. And unfortunately, we weren't there for very long. I think it was only about four or five months, and then we were packing our rubbish bag and all of our clothes in the rubbish bag and taken to um, the next place and, and the next place was really, really bad. It was, he was a, uh, I don't remember the woman, uh, whether there actually even was a woman in this house, but he was an alcoholic and he locked out my brother and I in our room at night so we couldn't get out. And I remember my sister arriving one night to come and visit us and I heard um, the knock on the door and I heard him go to the door and she came to see us and he said, um, you don't need to come and see the twins anymore. They don't love you and they don't need to see you. And we were in our bedrooms and I just remember pounding on my door trying to get out screaming, you know, and I just remember her crying as he closed the front door and she walked away. Oh. And that was the sort of games that this guy was playing, you know, like he asked me to run a bath for one of the children in the in the, in the the home. There were a number of kids, foster kids. And I had no idea how to run a bath. I was eight years old, so I just turned on the hot tap. And this little girl scolded herself as she got in. And he just completely lost the plot. And he um, ordered me to go to an, into his bedroom. 
and he took the belt off his jeans and pulled down my pants and um, just pounded into me with his leather belt until I bled. Heartbreaking. So heartbreaking stuff. And, and so living in foster environment, it's, you obviously don't have any stability. It's, uh, no. you're moving around from home to home and school to school. Was there, what for you provided that stability for you? Was there anything that allowed you to be at peace during that time? Or was it just such a f- uh, frenetic and, and crazy kind of whirlwind of time of your life? It was incredibly turbulent, you know. Um, we, we just kept being pillared and pillared and pillared, so we never knew from one moment to the next where we were going and, and who we were staying with. And, and, of course, with every home, we were going to a new school, so I'd just make friends, and then I would be moving again. And so I was a I was a target for bully, being bullied as well because I didn't I probably didn't look the same as the other kids. I didn't dress the same. I was traumatized and so I was suffering from all kinds of post-traumatic stress and um, I was an easy target for being bullied, you know. And so um, kids would just exclude me from their groups or they would uh, physically bully me, punch me and, um, you know, call me names, spread rumors and all, all that kind of thing about where I lived. And, and so... It was an incredibly difficult time, and I guess the only stability really was um, my twin, you know, and so we were each other's rock, really, um, because everything else was just transient, completely transient. Um, and so the last foster home I was in, I was uh, 12 years old, and I remember the the social worker coming to the house and, and putting a very difficult decision to me, a choice to me. And, uh, you know, he said, look, Donnie, you've got two choices. You can stay in foster care until you're 18 and free to leave, which pretty much meant just copying more of the abuse I'd already had and, and, you know, moving and moving, or to return to my father who'd been released from prison. But the hardest part of that decision was that um, I had to go back to the house where he murdered my mum. And I just can't even imagine really, like, it's... It's just um, abuse from the social welfare system on a whole other level to even allow a child to make a decision like that at 12. Yeah. But um, to go back to that trauma, and it was it was just the most incredibly difficult time because we were entering a house where there were memories, but the memories, like uh, memories of my mum, but my mum wasn't there. Memories of her being there, but no, none of her belongings were there. None of and memories of that awful morning. And and so I would have nightmares. And um, these were recurring nightmares that went on for quite a few months. And, and um, this is all post-traumatic stress, you know, mm. <clears throat> disorder. And so, the, you know, awful nightmares that the wallpaper was trying to kind of suffocate me. And I'd wake up and I'd be delirious and sweats. And, and um, you know, in the meantime, my father was just drinking himself to death. And um, he was—he was a very strange character. He was—he was a um, genius. In fact, you know, like a genius intelligence. He—he he spoke four languages fluently, so um, Esperanto, German, Spanish, and English. But he was pro-Nazi, and he believed in the Aryan race. 
And so he was incredibly um, discriminating, uh, racially discriminating. And, you know, we had a number of uh, Maori friends and he would say things to me in the morning when I was getting ready for school and he'd have the newspaper out and he'd say, oh, look, Donna, one of your black friends has raped somebody this morning, you know? All just mind games, you know, narcissistic sort of mind games. And um, he would sleep with a knife next to his bed every night. So we knew what he was capable of, and we had a survival plan, um, my brothers and I, while we lived there. So we all had our muster stations in case of an emergency. Wow. And that was how we lived for um, five years until he drank himself to death when I was 17. Have you ever forgiven him for, for what he's done? Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. I, I worked through a lot of uh, my trauma and everything. Um, I went and invested in doing that uh, and having hypnotherapy and having cognitive behavioral therapy and counseling and you name it, I've pretty much done it. And uh, it ended up being an incredible journey because it took me down the road of becoming a lifeline telephone counselor and volunteering on the phones in Sydney for two years. So I moved to Sydney. I had an amazing opportunity. I um, I actually went back to high school because I dropped out of high school at 16 and I went back and sat my school certificate and that enabled me to, to do an adult apprenticeship in clothing and pattern design. And um, I actually got the top trade certificate marks in New Zealand and I won the Golden Chairs Apprentice of the Year Award. Even though I was a high school dropout and I did really badly at school because of my trauma, I ended up having these top New Zealand results, which was just amazing. I was standing on the stage receiving my award by the Deputy Prime Minister of New Zealand and it was a really pivotal time in my life. It was one of those defining moments where, um, you know, I thought, wow, you know, I'm turning my life around. And, um, yeah, and it was uh, shortly after that I, I became a sales rep for a textile company and that's where I did my sales management uh, diploma and I did my um, sales management diploma in marketing and then they offered me an opportunity of a lifetime which was to come to Sydney and set up their Australian operation from scratch and run it and I had all the Kiwis all the naysayers saying to me nah you are crazy man you you, you there's no way you're going to make that work you know you the Aussies hate Kiwis you're moving into a market that's that's actually shrinking and going offshore to China, and you think you're going to get a slice of a market that's probably one of the oldest trades in in, in the world, and and you know you're going to take a piece of it in a, in a in a reducing market. And I said, yeah, I'm going to give it a go, and I took that business from nothing to a million dollars turnover. Well done. Yeah, it's oh. incredible. And then since then, you, you've gone on this journey of you know really being able to think about transforming other people where did you when was that moment where you went from say working in that textile environment to when you got to that point where i now want to make a difference and help other people what was the catalyst to that well i think actually being on the phones in, at lifeline uh certainly would have been the catalyst uh you know getting calls from suicide people that were suicidal, children that had been through similar kind of experiences to me. And it was so rewarding to be able to help people and give back because of my experience. And so I think that was probably planted the seed for me. And 
so down the track, I, I decided to become a personal trainer because I just love fitness. I've always loved, you know, exercise. And so I did the training and became a qualified personal trainer. But my passion was really to curb childhood obesity and help kids because sadly, you know, they're, they're born with genetically with more fat cells now than ever before. And so I really wanted to make it, you know, fun and, and enjoyable for children to uh, to get back into shape and learn about nutrition. And around the same time, I met my husband, who's an entertainer, um, international comedian. And so together we, you know, we kind of came up with this idea of doing a show, a children's show called The Dream Guards. And I, uh, you know, I was going to do the, the workouts and, and Michael was going to be the clown kind of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And and then I shared my story with Michael and he was absolutely blown away. He couldn't believe it. He's like, my God, I can't believe somebody so vibrant, somebody so positive and energetic has been through so much trauma and, you know, nobody would know. And he said, you need to share this with people because you are going to transform lives. You are going to give so much hope and inspire so many people and children because of your story. And and so I thought about the bullying aspect of it and I thought about how I could help children who are really suffering in schools from bullying and, and, and you know, cyberbullying, of course, is massive and, and children are taking their lives because of bullying. And so I went into a meditation, Craig, with an intention to come up with a tools, acronym, that would represent the universal sign for STOP. And when I came out of this meditation, my peace tools were born. And it was just the most phenomenal experience. I remember running out of this meditation going, oh, my God, I've come up with this amazing acronym. And I wrote it down, and I was t- telling it to um, to Michael, and he said, oh, my God, that's incredible. This has got to be part of our show. And it actually ended up being the part of the show, really. Everything else just kind of anchored around. That was the anchor of the show. And and so we incorporated all sorts of amazing ways of delivering these peace tools through balloon artistry, through exercise, and um, I even wrote a rap. So in another meditation, I came out with this amazing peace rap, and I'll never forget, I came out and I, at the time, I said to my 15-year-old son, I said, Hamish, I've written a, a rap, a peace rap, and he said, oh, my. God, no, no way, are you serious? He was so embarrassed. And I said, look, just listen to it, just listen to it. And I said it to him and he said, oh, actually, mum, that's pretty good. And I thought, wow, if my 15-year-old son's saying it's pretty good, then it, it's, it might be a winner. So that became part of the show too. And it's, you know, it, it, it was just an incredible journey. And so children were coming up at the end of the show just um, giving me hugs and saying thank you for sharing your story and I'm in I'm in a foster home and you've given me so much hope or and, and in fact I had a number of teenage girls that were um, actually suicidal that came up and said you have knocked some sense into me um, I I was ready to go I, I had enough and every time I share that I get goosebumps all over my body mm-hmm. um, so it's it's been a phenomenal journey to be honest and um. Yes, sadly, that journey sort of came to an end at the beginning of this year, just before COVID. My my marriage, um, I separated from my husband, and um, I had to sort of pivot. And I had a number of children's school bookings, so I thought, what am I going to do? I'm, I've just become a children's author, 
Um, and I've got these skills. I've got the show. Um, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to get out on my own. And, um, you know, the, 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 the books are all about the resilient rock star, the kid, the, uh, the actual dog rock star himself. And so I thought I, I can make up a, a resilient rock star show. And it's actually about me. It's about me being the resilient rock star. And, um, this, all these tools, I can help others to become resilient rock star, tap into the resilient rock star within them. And so I, uh, yeah, I went and performed these shows that were booked and I took Rocky Rockstar with me and the children loved, loved meeting Rocky and, and I got to read the books to them and yeah, that evolved into, uh, you know, uh, me writing a, a program, which is an online program for parents. Um, the Resilient Peace Program, all around the peace tools. And, yeah, it, it, and then, of course, COVID happened and, and it took me down a journey of sort of uh, deciding to study NLP and timeline therapy. And so I've just recently graduated as an NLP practitioner with timeline therapists. So it's a, it's a great holistic package now as a speaker, author, um, personal trainer with nutrition and NLP timeline therapist. <laughs> oh, it fits really well together. I'm just curious, and, and I'm sure some of the listeners are too, what are the peace tools? Are you able to explain them for us? Absolutely. So the peace tools um, are the universal sign for stop, and <clears throat> it's hand up high in the air, okay? so um, And the first letter in the peace tools stands for protect yourself and be powerful. And it's about standing tall with your shoulders back and your head held high. And it's statistically proven that you're less likely to be bullied or abused when you're showing yourself to be confident. The next letter is E and it stands for escape the situation. And it's all about trusting your instincts. And, um, you know, if somebody's being nasty to you, walking away, running away, online, turning off your device and never allowing anyone to abuse you. And the A is about using your amazing imagination to build a powerful armor around your body so other people's opinions don't matter in your world. And what I say is a lion never loses sleep over the opinions of sheep, so be the lion. And the C stands for creating strong friendships in your community of like-minded people that show you kindness and compassion and have your back. And it's about reaching out for the help and support you need, you know, like um, you know, being there for people, being there um, in kindness and compassion. And the E is expressing your emotions. So this is, uh, you know, uh, about reaching out for the help and support in your in your community when you need it, you know, that there is so many support services available out there. And, you know, we have Lifeline, Kids Helpline, and all of these are available on my Dream Guards free app, which is in the back of my books, Puppy Rescue and Tiger. And, um, you know, so this is a, an app that has meditations, it has beautiful um, positive mindset videos and 13 life-saving support services. I love how you're making a, a real difference uh, in society and in the community uh, through you know, the lessons you've learned, but, you know, also been able to make it simple for people to understand how they can protect themselves from bullies and and believe in themselves and just be happier in life. So yeah, really well done. Really, really yeah. appreciate that. Thank you. For you, 
how you, know, you talked about your skipping and being at the beach now. Um, you talked about these amazing opportunities that have come up this year, even though there's been plenty of adversity. What's next for you? Where do you see the future in the next 12 months? I, uh, I certainly see myself uh, moving more into the life coaching as a holistic life coach. Uh, helping people completely have their own uh, perfect transformation. So I really believe that no matter what adversity, what challenge you may face in your life, you have all the resources and tools within you. And it's just a matter of recognizing those and, uh, you know, tapping into them. And so I want to be that conduit. I want to be that person that can help people to tap into those tools and live a life of not just, you know, um, not just overcoming adversity, but flourishing and living a real life of passion and purpose. And I know because I've done it myself and anyone can do it. We all know smart people have great answers. The most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something? for the first time. Last time I did something for the first time. Uh, probably, probably actually, I, I stepped out of my comfort zone a little bit actually, and I took on a new nutritional program. And I've always worn my PT hat and always believed in raw, raw food and and I still do um, but I tried a new nutritional program that um, has really dense nutrition um, value and uh, you know cleanses and it's just been the most phenomenal shift in my my own personal physical transformation um, being able to uh, really um, speed up my metabolism, shift visceral fat that I didn't know I had, and improve my energy and my clarity and my mindset. So that's probably been a big shift for me, just moving out of that comfort zone and trying something new. Mm, I like it. I like it. What's the one question that you would love to solve? World peace. World peace. I would love, I would love it if we could solve world peace. That's all. That's all. World peace. For you, what is your definition of living an extraordinary life? Being your quirky, authentic, vulnerable self. Brilliant. <laughs> Donna Lee. You've given a, you've shared some amazing insights and you know really powerful tools you know the peace tools and and how you've overcome thing, many things in life and that resilience and just ability to get up and still be expressive and have lots of passion and enjoy and have fun in life you know bring that little childlike side of you out. How can people learn more about what you do and what is the best way for people to connect with you? 
Okay, well, uh, I have a website, which is Donna-LeePerfect.com. And I'm on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and just about every social media platform you can think of. I'm quite active on them. So, uh, And I also have a YouTube channel as well with all of my Rocky Rockstar uh, story time and my personal training videos and lots of positive mindset videos also. So people can find me on Donnelly Perfect YouTube. So. Any, just Google me and you will find so much. (laughs) That's probably the best thing. Just Google me. (laughs) Don Lee, it's an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. You're a real gem of this world. And I just, you know, every time I connect with you, I just, I, I love the emotion and the passion and the feeling and the connectedness that I feel with you. Thanks for sharing you know, what makes you tick as a person? You know, why you like bringing that childlike side out? Why it's important for you to help other people and give and share through stories and through, um, you know, your your physical training uh, and other methods. It's just really inspiring to see that. And, you know, your ability to be vulnerable. You know, what you've been through is is very challenging. And to see how you have dealt with that, learned from it, and been able to utilize that to not only make your life better, but so many people's lives in this world. I really appreciate what you're doing for this world, and I appreciate what you're doing for yourself as well. Donna Lee, thank you very much for being on the show today. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you. It's been an honor to be here. Peace out. Thank you for listening to a beautiful conversation with Donnelly Perfect, double dose of dopamine on the Active CEO podcast. The more times you put yourself in contention as time goes by, you're going to be the one holding the trophy at the end. Being able to ensure that you're in the right performance state And being in that position where you can get the best out of your people, get the best out of your company, maximize the opportunities, the more often you're going to be the one holding the trophy at the end. You are the one that's going to be able to achieve your vision. If you're not prepared to put yourself in contention, then you're not going to be able to take hold of those opportunities and achieve what you set out to do. See if you can put yourself in a position every single day to maximize the opportunities. CEO presence is something I work with people on around how can you ensure that you're in the right performance state, that you are present that you are focused on the task at hand so that you can be in contention to achieve what you set out to do. If you'd like to find out how to be in contention more often through CEO Presence, then please contact me at craig at nrg2perform.com or click on the contact page of www.craigjohns.com. 
www.ghostbusiness.com.au website. Thank you so much for listening today. I am Craig Johns. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.